This is part two of my chat with John Atkinson. If you haven't heard part one, you really need to listen to it before you listen to this because it's probably not going to make much sense. Please check it out. There's some fantastic information in this. You're listening to the eDrumInfo.com podcast, making your experience with electronic drums that much easier. The process of, of putting a show together, which takes a very long time, and um, you know there will be constant tweaks going on and constant conversations with the front of house engineer about you know how well something behaves in different rooms and being able to sort of control that. Like, so for instance, you put a new song together and that particular kick drum sample, which sounded great on the record and might sound great um, in the studio and might sound great in rehearsal room, when you actually get into a massive festival with the enormous subs that go down to 20 hertz might need a little bit of care taken in the bottom end so a bit of eq might be needed there and in in that situation main stage is perfect for dealing with that yeah. and i can't imagine an, another uh, certainly i'm not aware of another app that would that would be so quick as to you know literally on the plane as <laughs> as, yeah. as, tweak as plane, yeah. yeah you tweak it you tweak you know first world problems here but most of my work for, for tweaking stuff is is done um you know on a plane or in a in a departure lounge waiting for a plane <laughs> where the front of house engineer goes oh do you know what last night when we were when we were playing such and such a song you've got a little bit too much low end down and around the 40 hertz thing um so i literally opened the laptop there and then and and, and Pull it down. tweak it there and then you know and that's it there's no sort of dumping it across to something else or whatever it's just done so yeah my bugbear about outputs yes <laughs> which which is low end and and everything else needs to be dealt with differently by front of house front of house i mean the you know front of house engineer and if if you have a situation where as is the case on most tours one night you might be playing in a club for you know a couple of thousand people in you know, a little little club that's got you know subs that might be 20 years old and struggling a bit that's going to be completely different from playing to a massive festival to 40,000 people with, you know, an amazing brand new system that can deal with anything to doing a TV thing where they're going to roll off everything below 50 Hertz. Anyway, low end needs to be dealt with separately, in which case you need to have more than two outputs. You simply cannot manage with two outputs, two outputs for drums in a professional situation just does not work. And it, it, it is laughable to think that it would. The only time that it, it does work, and this is not knocking people who, who, you know, use electronic drums to do functions. But if you're doing a function, that's absolutely fine. You've got a little PA, and it's the same every night because you're carrying your PA around with you. That's absolutely fine, and I get that. And you just want stereo left and right to go, you know, to the PA. That's fine. On a professional piece of equipment, you need to have the low end and the high stuff, and everything else separate because it will be different every night because the room will be different yeah. and if you haven't got that sort of control it you're onto a bit of a loser before you've started mm. so uh, you know particularly with drums i mean drums make up what 50 percent of what people hear out front of a gig yeah. you know another 30 percent of that is is vocals and everything else is the stuff that fills it all up <laughs> much much as much as every guitarist bass player and keyboard player would like that not to be the case that is the reality of it yeah. it's 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 kick kick and snare is most of what people hear whether it's in a pop situation you know i mean obviously not in a jazz gig but you know in a in a pop or rock situation that is what people hear and that's you must have control over that 
And if that's the if that's the case, if you if you have got a piece of gear that that only has left and right stereo output, um, you need to be able to put stuff in one output or another quickly. If you know, rather than pan it hard left or hard right slowly, which is yeah. Um, yeah. So that's my current current moan. Yes. Please <laughs> more outputs, but, everybody. Yeah, yeah. Please more outputs because that is what professionals need, and that is why people are using main stage or you know if you are using Ableton or whatever. Um, you have as many outputs as you need and that is that's that's you know you've got to have that you can't you can't be dealing with stereo left and right because pas don't really i mean they do run in stereo but they don't really if you're if you're if you're standing in the crowd and and you happen to be standing in the middle yes you are going to get a stereo stereo image created by the front of house engineer but if you send very wide stereo to front of house they're not going to be doing it as very wide stereo they, because if you happen to be not standing right in the middle in front of the big PA, you're standing right at the left-hand side. You're only going to hear the left speaker. That's how line arrays work. Therefore, multiple mono outputs is what's needed. Anyway, I'll get off my soapbox now. But, you know, <laughs> talk to any front-of-house engineer who, who is doing big gigs, you know, um, you know, big tours or festivals or whatever, they want multiple mono outputs. They do not want stereo outputs because there's no point. Um, that's not what you. That's not what you need. You 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 need to have the control of. You know, the snare is coming down the snare channel. Um, the kick drum, particularly the kick drum, is coming down the electronic kick channel or what you know, or whatever it is. So that if they if you hit that particular sample that is different from the previous song and it happens to have a touch more, you know. 30 hertz in it for whatever reason and suddenly the, <laughs> the front five rows start throwing up you need to be able to do something about it quickly you know that, that's, <laughs> that is the reality of, of of dealing dealing with gigs you know it really is i mean fair enough if you're out touring with katie perry or whoever and you're carrying your pa with you then that's one thing but even you know even then i assume i assume adam marcello they they do gigs where it's not under their control you know they play the super bowl or whatever you've got to have things separated out uh, to, uh talking of what you've just said about the outputs one uh there's a a very true thing said about gear if it's got pro in the name it definitely isn't it definitely isn't. um <laughs> I, I, and also yeah. the amount of stuff which comes out and our oh, new professional kit and then you look around the back and it's only got left and right outputs yeah. that is not it's not it's kit. not pro i mean i'm i am aware of the um mechanics of how these things happen you know i was having a conversation about exactly this the other day with front of house engineer with with kim wild who is great i mean he's an absolutely world-class engineer and we were <laughs> just talking about exactly this and he said he thought that probably it was because you know when drum machines were, were massive and and uh, first started started out and you had your your lin drums and they had separate outs and the usb12 and they had all separate outs and the 808 all had separate outs and you know they sold her how many of those it was and then <laughs> and then Alesis came out with the hr16 and probably sold thousands of times more of those than they ever did of anything else and that was only left and right and i think probably that was the beginning of the of of not really needing to worry about it because the companies are selling large enough quantities you know the, 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 and I, I know the reality of it the, the reality of it is that um, you know the big companies are entirely funded from being able to sell electronic kits for instance for use by people in their bedroom or, or whatever and, that, and that's great and, and I, I do get that however 
you do need with, gear which works you do need gear which does it at a professional level you know you you you, you can't you can't have it so that um you know not pointing any fingers at any particular company <laughs> necessarily but if you have if you have a rig uh, which is supposedly a pro rig and you set it up and then you can't take it down again because it's only been designed to because the way the cables run within the rack for instance it actually can't be taken apart again that's actually laughable that you have a professional piece of equipment that cannot be toured um that that makes no sense to me and it doesn't matter um you know i i get that a, a large quantity of 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 these things are sold to people who will set it up once and and leave it there and it never gets out to be gigged and that's that's absolutely fine i've got no problem with that however for those of us who are using it in a professional situation surely 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 um you know there are things that need to be done to make it make it usable and you know you've only got name any big pop act in the world and they will have some sort of element of electronics uh, within the drums, whether it's, you know, an SPDSX or a DTX M12, or whether they're doing something, you know, like Tom Meadows is doing with something a little bit more complex or like Andy Gangadine is doing, you know, at, at whatever level of complexity there is that's being used, there'll be some sort of electronics going on. Um, and yet we're all working around these sort of limitations which are imposed upon us by, by the manufacturers. Mm. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's worth pointing out, it's worth saying here, for the record, you know, it is, um, what is paying for most of the, the the big companies is is the domestic market. The domestic of market is 95% of, of, the, of the sales. Of course it but, is, and I, and I totally understand yeah. that. You know, the, the total number of people, you know, drummers that are out there doing top level gigs and touring you know with with a lot of artists is, is you know it's going to be less than 100 isn't it I mean, i've got no idea how many actually is and i get that that's not enough to for, to warrant companies sort of changing their their sort of modus operandi that being said um the reason that everybody is using um these controllers as a front end for main stage or they are used or you know whatever workaround they are using you know whether it's that they're using well, literally just the other day thinking how much better off i'd be with a um <laughs> with a, um a, a s6000 or a you know or a z8 or whatever um in terms of solidity for sort of playback of samples um and that's crazy because that, that's really elderly technology that's nearly 20 years old well this is i mean this is something well this this links in with what we just, we just said about gear i mean the amount of guys out there who are still using d-drums um, yeah there's yeah. a lot of stuff out there uh, yeah. which is rock solid and people are using it because it just works and it's... it just just works yeah, yeah absolutely and uh, you know much as much as i love main stage and uh, i i think gerhard at, at um who, who who you know is the main designer at, at um at apple um he, he clearly loves it and is very open to to having people sort of pointing out things that are perhaps not working very well or you know and and all that you are still left with the limitation of having the physicality, the physicality issue of having a laptop on stage, which mm. is that they are not designed to be on stage. Well, but, you know, uh, you can know. you just say about what you, do you, are you prepared to say about what happened a couple of weeks back? Or is that something which you'd prefer to keep off? Give me a clue what, what it was this time. <laughs> about the, the, the solder. Oh, gosh, yeah. Well, yeah, absolutely. It wasn't just me. And to be fair, there were guys from Apple in the audience who were hugely apologetic, but not remotely their, their, their fault at all. But uh, I did a gig a couple of weeks back in uh, Las Vegas, 
and uh, the ambient temperature on stage at gig time was 115 degrees Fahrenheit, which is absolutely ludicrous. I mean, that's 40, 44, I think it is, centigrade. I mean, it, toasty. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and uh, you know, mine and Howard's and Robbie's rigs on stage um, all, uh, all run off um, MacBook Airs. And, um, <laughs> uh, I, I, you know, and the Roland V system, which we use and, you know, everything that you use will all, it will all say not to be used above 105 degrees Fahrenheit. And the reason for that is that solder goes soggy and, um, the, the, um, MacBooks literally the, uh, as the guys from Apple so apologetically said to us, literally the solder between the Samsung chips that they've got in there and the motherboard literally goes tacky and stops behaving properly um and that's an issue you know that's 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 an issue for for, for gear irrespective of lots of other things which you have with having a laptop on stage anywhere near drums which is you know vibrations can um, make firewire or thunderbolt or usb cables work their way out the vibrations can make hard drives you know do funny things i mean that's less of a problem now with ssds and flash uh, flash based storage but uh, certainly back in the day you used to get all sorts of issues with um, hard drives crapping out um with with you know being anywhere on, on stage with a sub um you can have issues with the hinge wobbling around and the uh, the gpu sort of has problems because that's how the gpu and the um, and the cpu are connected is through the hinge connection um you know I mean, just all, all sorts of issues. Having a laptop on stage anywhere near a set of drums is a bit of a recipe for disaster. And yet every gig that I do, <laughs> there's one thing right there. Um, and that, I mean, I would love for, for, for the iPad to, to, to be, you know, um, more usable on stage. I mean, main stage for, for iPad would be amazing. I mean, I think, I think that's close, but I think it's a little way away yet from, from a CPU point of view. But um, it's clearly, clearly moving that way with the new iPad Pros are more powerful than the MacBook. So there's definitely, definitely sort of move in the right direction there because just the form factor of a of a iPad Pro being a single sheet of glass, you know, inside a big case with no hinge and being effectively waterproof, um, is definitely a, a move in the right direction. Do you, do these problems uh, make you want to move more back to to hardware? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I, I, in a in a in a lot of respects, we're we're sort of in this in-betweeny sort of stage which has been around for certainly 15 years if not more that hardware has sort of a reliability benefits uh, for when you're on stage but it's incredibly slow mostly for from the from a programming point of view so for instance um you know if it, i use the dtx uh, multi 12 on stage with kim wilde and that's great for, for the drum samples but it's pretty slow getting the samples in there I sort of feel like it shouldn't be really uh, that you shouldn't have to uh, do what I do, which is chop up the samples in Pro Tools and then drag them onto a USB thing and then put it in and then drag them off and then assign them and then pan them out. I left all the right channel, I mean, you know, <laughs> all, all that sort of stuff that is, is just is, is irritating. Um, I sort of feel like we should be beyond that now, really, given that um, the computer and uh, the M12 are connected via USB. I feel like there should be an offline editor on the computer that you just drag and drop. I, I know that they've tried to do editory things, Yamaha, haven't they? They did an iPad thing, haven't they? I'm a, I honestly can't really see where that's any use because I can't run Pro Tools on my iPad. And I'm going to be, you know, if someone sell, sends me the stems from a, from a track that we're, we're doing and I've got to make 
something playable out of the drum drum stems or percussion stems or whatever you know there might be a loop or whatever that i've got to get either into ableton or uh into uh, the m12 um i've got to chop it up and stick it on a usb drive and move it over which is irritating whereas if i'm doing it with ableton um it is drag and drop and i can do it through dropbox on multiple machines you know but let me give you an idea of where we were in 1998 when i was using my mpc 60 and for those that have not used an MPC-60, um, it had sort of its own file format um, um, or fi file formats, um, which were uh, .snd for sound, uh, which was a um, equivalent of a WAV or AIFF, but it was 40 kilohertz, not 44.1, and they were 12-bit. Uh, um, and then you have .pgm, which was a program, um, which, you know, was where the samples were and you know how they were mapped and how they would respond you know as you, you know, velocity and and all that and in 1998 on um mac os probably seven it would have been at that point there was an offline editor for the mpc 60 where you could drag um sound designer 2 as it would have been then files which the mpc couldn't read um you could drag them into this offline editor onto the pad that you wanted it to be and create a program in the offline editor you could then drag from there onto a floppy drive that you could then put into the mpc which and it was there so you were effectively creating your program and being able to audition sounds which you couldn't do on the mpc 60 you could audition sounds on the mac hear how they hear how they would sound you know so for this song i want that sort of kick or that sort of snare and i need a clap sound and bloody blah, 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 blah put it all together in the mac drag it onto the floppy and whack it into the mpc and that's 20 years ago and we still don't have that with current hardware for electronic drums now this i keep banging on about this moog that i've got the off the editor that i've got for this moog <laughs> so this is a piece of analog equipment digitally controlled analog equipment it has an editor on it that runs um as a as a virtual instrument so i'm running it in pro tools or you know you could run it in ableton as vst or whatever it is a librarian you can uh change stuff on the uh on the editor and it will change the hardware you can change the hardware and it'll change it on the editor and then you save it within your pro tools session i mean it's it's absolutely brilliant there is no reason why that can't be done for electronic drums you know i'm i'm thinking you know SPDSX or um, M12 or whatever, you put together your program or you do your editing of, of whatever, you, it, it then means that things like the EQ and the compressor and stuff, you could preview on a Mac through proper set of speakers in your studio and then you just drag the information over via USB, including sounds um, and effects or, you know, or, or whatever, whatever you want to do. But that doesn't that doesn't appear to exist, which is very frustrating. You're listening to the eDrumInfo.com podcast. Have you seen this new SPDSX editor? I haven't. I um, yeah, it's I'm... worth having a look at. It looks, right, it looks okay. really good. Um, yeah, yeah, great. It's very cool, very cool. Great. So does it actually do exactly what I'm moaning? Well, the, you can edit. It doesn't you exist. Can, yeah, you can edit. You can edit on the thing and then just drag yeah. it over. So and that's exactly what's needed because you know the reality is that if you are dealing with you know doing doing what I'm doing or um, if you're doing what, you know, if, if somebody wants to do what I'm doing, whether they're doing it at the highest level or whether they're in a, in a band that plays in a pub on a Tuesday night, 
if you want to get sounds together to play on an electronic kit, you're probably going to do it in a DAW, whether that's GarageBand or, you know, Ableton or whatever it is that you run in your little studio at home and you get your sounds together on that. Uh, you want to be able to find those samples using it, using a browser, you know, <laughs> use like a battery or, you know, whatever it is that you're going to use to go through those samples and then drag and drop them over. I mean, it, 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 it's a, it's a no-brainer that is how people work and if you want to be able to do to lift stuff out of pro tools which is how people send me stuff um as stems you shouldn't have to jump through hoops to get it into your hardware no i mean the one thing we were talking we talked about a long time ago was just in pro tools highlighting the actual uh waveform yeah just dragging it off onto your onto your desktop Absolutely that, yeah and you can do that in ableton you, yeah you, you, you know you can do you, that that's how it would work in an ableton drum rack and in in a lot of respects, I mean, I think how that how that works is 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 brilliant because then you have control also over effects mm. if you need them. I mean, actually, actually, the way that I work would be to print effects onto the sample. Yeah. Um, because uh, well, it's less resources. It's less resources, but also I think, uh, and this is maybe something that's specific to working with artists that were successful in the eighties, is that um, you know you. Uh, the the sound of the reverb would be very important to the sound. So, and in fact, when we when we started speaking, I was just <laughs> saying at at the moment looking for exactly the right reverb to to, to get get together for um for a specific sample, which is probably a Roland seven two seven with a um Lexicon four ITL, um you know, and that that is the sound. But then then that would be sampled. I would sample uh, sample that sort of onto the sound, so it's sort of baked in, as it were. Yeah. And then um and then. It's imperfect in in the sense that I wouldn't ever do that in the studio. Um, I would always leave leave it so the reverb ha- does its own modulation thing um, to give a bit of life to it. But the reality is, on stage, is that you want that you want that the the nature of that reverb baked into the sample. Um, you know, whether it's a four ATL or whether it's a um, you know uh, AMS, whatever something something that has its own specific character. You you want it you want it baked in really. I guess you could run that live in main stage, but you'd you'd kill your kill your machine. <laughs> right. Well, we we talked about Howard stuff. Right. Yes. Can we just go over Kim's? What you're using yeah. with Kim at the moment? Yes, absolutely. So with Kim, I am running Ableton, as I talked about before, sort of playing those backing tracks as as an instrument, I suppose, as a as a DJ might do. I guess. Yeah. Sort of, you know, starting and starting and looping sections. And then uh, drum samples um, triggered off the, I have a kick drum trigger. I have an acoustic trigger on the kick. I have an acoustic trigger on the snare and I have the M12 pads. So I have sort of plenty of plenty of surfaces to, to, to play. And the sounds are coming out of the M12 left and right. And you're using the M12 uh, to step through your Ableton. Yeah, so I have three, uh, the three pads at the top of the M12 are start and then backwards and forwards through the um through the scenes as they call them which yeah. would effectively be sort of you know which different sections which, well, yeah which, yeah which section is coming up next um so yeah and then i have a foot switch for um panic um on a on a quite a, a global question yeah what um i mean because you talk to a lot of drummers um what do you feel is the the biggest problem with electronic drums for drummers what do you think is the biggest problem facing electronic drummers 
Um, that's a very good question, actually. I don't, I don't know because I, I suppose it depends how you're using them, doesn't it? If yeah. if if you're basically um, doing what I would imagine a lot of people do, because this is the easy way to do it, which is that you're using an acoustic kit and you've got an SPDSX or M12 <laughs> sitting over your hi hat to play clap samples or whatever, then probably you look at it and you go, well, I'm I'm sort of covered because internally it's got a bunch of samples and they're all fine and and that's you know that's great i think the issue comes when um electronics become the main event that's when you start having to make some serious decisions about what's important because there are there are going to be um shortcomings whichever rig you use and um there are going to be issues with whichever rig you use and that's when you need to make a decision about how you know how you're going to approach that and I think you know perhaps a lot of drummers don't don't want to get involved in the sort of um, the programming side of things, and perhaps they rely on their tech to to do that. And the tech turns up with you know what, whatever. I mean, I know Simon Jays has done that for a lot of the artists that he, he's worked with. Turn up with a DTX 900 and a set of triggers, and 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 someone sends him the the samples, and he does all the programming, and and whoever you know John Blackwell or, or whatever just hits the right pad at the right time, and it and it makes the right noise, and and that's sort of fine. But it, it does feel as if as if that offloading that that sort of side of things to somebody else. That's, I mean, keyboard players don't do that. Keyboard players no. take responsibility for their sounds because that's part of what they do. And then the nature of how a, a sound plays and how it responds is part of what the keyboard keyboard player wants to be involved with. And mm. you can, you couldn't imagine someone like Herbie Hancock having a programmer for him. You know, I mean, he, he would want really? to be in. You know, are you going to say he does? He now? does. But, okay. <laughs> but, uh, but do you know, just, I mean, in 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 terms of you know playability yeah. of these sort of things. Um, uh, you want to have your hands dirty. You want to get in there and be able to, you know, Agreed. to to to, yeah. to 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 be able to have control over it. And I think the lack of uh, transparency um, and sort of feeling that you've got to read a manual to even begin to understand how any of these things might function at a level that's deeper than you know, you hit something and it goes bang. It shouldn't really be like that. And I think that's the benefit of something like uh, a main stage or a, or or whatever um, is that it makes it quicker and easier and in a lot of respects you know somebody goes into a drum shop and they sit down behind a set of v drums or a dtx kit whatever and they plug the headphones in and it makes some good sounds then that's probably fine for a lot of people and there's nothing wrong with that of course of course not but um um a lot of people are going to want a lot more than that uh, one of the uh the stats which which continues continues <laughs> to amaze me is the um and i, I actually put it on the um e-drum info a Facebook page was uh, something like ninety-five or ninety-six percent of kits which get returned have never had anything done to them. Yeah. That, uh, <laughs> so yeah, it, yeah, it's just. But, I mean, and, but exactly the same. I mean, the amount of the phone calls I get from people, people who you would think actually should know what they're doing. Yeah. And you know, uh, we want to tune this down. Okay. Yeah. Well, then yeah. do it. Well, yeah. how, how do we do it? It's, it yeah. amazes me that people aren't prepared to put in the time with electronics. Yeah, I'm going to guess there's a sense in which there's going to be a learning curve on any any piece yeah. of equipment, pretty much. Um, and so perhaps that's that's fair enough. And you, and you can't sort of legislate for people not being bothered no. to have have any sort of understanding of, of equipment. Like you, you you wouldn't expect a guitarist to return a guitar that's out of tune. Yeah, um, exactly. You know, uh, but um, but but equally, um, I was just thinking about you know situations that I've had with artists that I've worked with. And their expectation of 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 what's needed from from electronic drums 
perfect example would be uh, with Midjur. He, you know, get a phone call. Can you do the tour? Yeah, that would be fantastic. That would be really lovely. Um, partly because we're touring at Christmas, and do they know it's Christmas? You know, twentieth anniversary is going to. It's probably going to be number one when we're out on tour. Isn't that yeah. lovely, sort of thing? <laughs> um, and and he sent me a stack of samples, a stack of samples. Um, you know, here's the here's the snare sound from um, from Vienna. Here's you know, which is key to the song. It's absolutely key mm. to the song. You know, you start playing doom. Dum dum dum. Yeah, and if you haven't got, you're not. You know, people are not going to cheer in the same way as they would do. You know, they they're just not. And um and and likewise when we played Dune, they know it's Christmas, and I got the you know the multi tracks and got Phil's drum part, which was is absolutely astonishing. I mean, it's just you know, if anybody ever needed any proof that Phil Collins is an awesome drummer, you should listen to the multi track, which you won't ever have ex- access to. But uh, listen, to, <laughs> listen to the multi track of Phil's drum take, which was apparently a first or second take. Yeah, yes, I've heard. Unbelievable. Um, you know, and and that was what was sent for me. So when we played Do the Notes Christmas, I've got the doom 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 that loop that Phil played on the tom just filtered down and sort of laid a reverb on it. You know, and that's that's quite a common thing, you know, when when I did Belinda Carlisle, they sent me a load of vocal samples to trigger. Beginning of We Dream the Same Dream, which is hey, hey, yeah, hey, you know, I mean it's a big part of the song and that's how the song starts. And of course I'm gonna trigger that, of course I am, you know. How would you and that was however many years ago. How would you get that? At the time, I was using the D-Drum 4, so you just sort of uh, did a MIDI sample dump into the D-Drum 4. Done. You know, it's done in five seconds. How would you do that now? Well, you'd, <laughs> you've got to jump through these hoops to get it into your into your machine, which is a little bit irritating that we haven't moved on since then. So, well, I mean, that sort of that sort of leads on to my final question. Where is all this headed? Where where do you see it going? I mean, you said we're sort of in a in a bit of a period between software yeah. and hardware. Yeah, I think we are. Yeah. Where um, do you think it's going to go? Well, you'd imagine that that given uh, the power that we have with software and uh, the power that there is with main stage um, and Ableton and whichever else. I mean, I, I'm referring to those two mostly because I think they make the most sense for on stage, you know, in terms of being able to change patch and sort of behave in the same way as a, a keyboard or a drum module would do to be able to switch through patches and how it manages its CPU load with the patches that are not in use um, is very clever. But, you know, from that point of view, drag and drop. Um, and so you have your whatever it is running main stage and you have your sound card and the cables that are running between it. And then you have your whatever your front end that's triggering it. That's that's all great, and I think I think probably the hardware manufacturers are going to struggle to um, have that uh, amount of processing for the amount of cost involved to be able to keep up with that. But what they do provide is stability and a form factor which is um, designed for stage and perfect for stage. You know, um, reality reality is that there's great things about about main stage um and you know you can fly easily fly with your laptop and a sound card and turn up and use whatever keyboard with it and you're you're laughing as opposed to you know i know um friends of mine who are keyboard players and you fly to the back of beyond and you're trying to rent in some some keyboard and the rental company hasn't got it or whatever that's the benefit of main stage um uh but yeah i mean if the hardware providers um 
by which I'm meaning your Yamahas and your Rolands and your two box and your, you know, whoever else who's coming out, you know, Elisa's or, or, or whoever, whoever they are, are always going to be a, a touch behind um, with regards to processing power, um, which is always going to be the bottleneck for them, but they can build something. So, I mean, that's the great thing about the Yamaha um, DTX 950 kit that I've got sitting behind me is that it's built like a tank and um, that that is fantastic you know and and it, it, it's it's it, it's solid and and you know you trust it on stage and all that um but yeah sometimes i look at look, look back to where we were in where it was 2002 and s6000 and and axis which was the which was the then editor for mac and pro tools and and you know you drag and drop things over to your s6000 then you can't do it now. <laughs> no. And also, I mean, just just going back about uh, what you were saying earlier about uh, you know looking back and and seeing how things were back then. Yes. You know, you look at the you know the D-Drum four module, which yes. is I know latency is a big. There's a lot of myths, and you've you, I've, oh, I've got to say you've written oh, yeah, absolutely quick, quick, fantastic, quick yeah. <laughs> yeah, fantastic article on latency in Digital Drummer magazine. Yeah, go, um, go and read the Digital Drum magazine because you can you can read uh, read about me waffling about about latency, and and somewhere in in that waffle there might be some some stuff that makes quite a lot of sense because I I think a lot a lot is misunderstood about latency, um, um about about yeah, some of it's important and some of it that's not important is made to be important and some things which are really really important people are, are not aware of so very very briefly it's, yes it's if it's if it's as long as latency is consistent then you're okay as long as latency is consistent and within a certain parameter yeah. a parameter um sort of i mean i i sort of postulated that i thought that it should be um under the sort of 15 to 20 millisecond sort that sort of time um after which so however that 15 or 20 milliseconds is made up whether it's um the time that it takes for the hit to be translated into midi the time it takes for the midi to be seen by your application whatever that might be or the amount of time that it takes for the application to physically get sound out of the sound card and turned into an analog you know um signal uh, however that that 15 to 20 milliseconds is made up it doesn't really matter so long as it's less than that and so long as it it um it is consistent yeah, um, it's you're when, sort of all right. So it's when it's when things start moving, and from you might get ten milliseconds on one hit, and then fifteen milliseconds on the next. Hit. Yeah. That's when you get the problems, isn't it? Yeah, I mean that was that was sort of what I was experiencing. Going back to what we were talking about earlier, so it's sort of what I f- was feeling like I was experiencing with Ableton with that particular rig that I had. That I never really got to the bottom of what the problem was with that. But um, uh, I, I think, yeah, so long as it's consistent, it's fine because your brain copes with it, and and you know. One of the other things that I talked about in the Digital Drummer um, um, article was to say how amazing is our, our brains do cope with, with the differences in latency. A perfect example would be two tracks of Howard's that we tend to play back to back in the set, uh, one of which has a very slow attack um, kick drum and fast attack snare drum. And the next one has the opposite, <laughs> and uh, and sort of trying to play so that those things land in the right place. Um, it's amazing how much your brain just just sort of copes with it, as long as you try not to think about it too much. <laughs> so as long as it grooves, you know, you, your brain just deals with the, the, where it lands. It's it's very clever. But yeah, but what we're saying about the D drum, I mean, the D drum yeah. is what two point four milliseconds, something like that, and yeah. and nothing uh, that's been built in the last twenty years has got anywhere close to that. Yeah, no, no, absolutely, and uh, and like I say, I mean, with the the D drum has been my get out of jail in a couple of uh, couple of instances where where I felt that other controllers haven't had the 
uh, the touch that I needed. Um, so, for instance, if I was doing, as was the case, um, you know, um, with an orchestral snare drum thing, um, there's no question to me that the D-Drum 4, a D-Drum pad, um, and, um, you know, I was using the um, Vienna um, Symphonic uh, snare drum um, sample in that instance. It behaves exactly as you'd want it to behave. You don't even have to change anything in the D-Drum. You just literally plug it in and it, and it behaves like a real snare drum, which is amazing. And I, I, I don't really know what the problem has been for other companies trying to get that sort of level of, of reality in terms of its feel. Um, but certainly it, it, the D-Drum still feels like it has the edge. Although, to be fair, there's, there's obviously things that I've, I've not tried. I've not tried the, the alternate mode thing. But, um, but yeah, I mean, D-Drum, absolutely. You know, and, and with acoustic drums as well. I mean, I, I, just astonishingly so. D-Drum triggers into, into the D-Drum uh, are hard to beat, really. It's nearly 20-year-old technology, or maybe actually 20-year-old technology, um, uh, that, that still hasn't been bettered and is actually better than a lot of stuff that's out there at the moment which seems a bit strange really okay we have filled so far um for those listening i don't know how much you're going to listen because it depends how much <laughs> i edit this down but uh, that's two hours excellent, uh, <laughs> excellent. thank you john that's fantastic the best uh, the best form of procrastination and not actually getting on with what i ought to be doing which is finding reverb samples for rehearsals on monday and actually just talking about electronic electronic drums which is loads of fun well, exactly. Well, it's actually when you texted me and said, "Look, when are we going to do this?" I, I, I'm really not ready, but it's just like, <laughs> oh, d- no, there's no way better than just actually getting on with it and saying, "Right, okay, let's do eleven o'clock let's on Friday." Just do it. Right, absolutely. Great. Well, I'm glad Done. that we were able to do that because because uh, it's far more far more fun being able to do it while I'm sort of in amongst it and uh, and and sort of actually in the process of uh, of of doing what I do rather than. Um, being out on tour and being knackered and on a tour bus somewhere. <laughs> no, no, brilliant. Well, uh, no, I mean, um, okay, from a, from a uh, podcast point of view, thank you very yes. much. That's absolutely oh, brilliant. Um, uh, so much information. This is what I, I knew I'd get. I wasn't expecting two hours worth, but um, that is fantastic. So fabulous. Well, I hope I hope people have, uh, have uh, you know will have found something useful um, out of out of all of that. There's and, lots. Uh, I, I hope so. Lots and lots and lots. Brilliant. Okay. Well, have a great tour, and um, thank you. Uh, we'll catch up with you soon. I hope. You're listening to the eDrumInfo.com podcast, making your experience with electronic drums that much easier. Subscribe to eDrumInfo.com.